22 and verses 34 to 40. That's Matthew 22, 34 to 40. And it's the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. The greatest commandment. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love, the Lord, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. When it comes to putting dollars in the bank, then Tom Cruise's performance as Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible series of films is actually quite impressive. Now, the action genre is not really my thing. It may not be yours either. But from a commercial perspective, it's pretty impressive. It grossed an eye-watering $934 million over five films. That's quite impressive. And as we, read today's, as we look at today's reading in Matthew chapter 22, and verses 34 to 40, then that title of Mission Impossible may seem quite apt. But before we jump into the passage... Let me just set the scene of what's been going on in the run-up to what Jesus has said. Just the day before, Jesus had hitched a ride on a donkey into Jerusalem, where crowds of onlookers were cheering and shouting, Hosanna, and throwing cloaks and palm branches onto the road before him. Then later that same day, Jesus had overturned the tables of the money, of the money changers and the dove sellers in the temple courts. Jesus was upsetting some pretty powerful people. And just one chapter earlier in Matthew 21 and verse 15, it says that when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and heard the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. So when Jesus arrived again in Jerusalem the next day and entered the temple and started to teach, the spiritual movers and shakers were spoiling for a fight. First up were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of scholars who didn't believe in an afterlife. When you were dead, that was it. No resurrection, no heaven, no hope. That's why they were sad, you see. It doesn't get any better. And we read in that passage that they tried to pose Jesus with a trick question. It was a question about a man who'd been married seven times and what his afterlife nuptial arrangements would be. Jesus had answered with wisdom, with authority, and with the scriptures. One nil Jesus. So next up were the Pharisees. And it says in verse 34 to 36 that we've just read that, that, that they killed, called a quick powwow, a quick team meeting, and then they tried too to test Jesus. They asked him, they said, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Now, Jesus had plenty to choose from. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the 613, I counted them all, the 613 rules and regulations known as the Old Testament law, not to mention the thousands of add-ons and qualifications and amendments introduced by rabbinical scholars. This was a complete minefield, so the Pharisees thought. Whatever Jesus replied, they could turn around and show that, by omission at least, he was out of step with the law as a whole. Whatever law Jesus chose to say was the most important would leave him open to criticism. But they could find no fault with the answer Jesus gave. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus had reduced the whole of the law to two commandments. Love God, love people. Simple to understand, much harder to do. So let's look at the passage and let's take it in turn, these two, these two twin commandments that Jesus says underpin everything else. So let's firstly look at our, at our love for God. Those of us here today who are Christians, quite literally, followers of Christ, how are we getting on with this first commandment? Jesus replied in verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is an all-embracing, all-encompassing, all-consuming, total love. Let's check ourselves. Sometimes perhaps we need to look at the evidence. If we as Christians were to look at our checkbook stubs, or perhaps if you're a little more IT savvy, at the electronic trail of your payments, where does your money go? If we ran our finger down our kitchen calendars, where does our time go? If we asked our kids, our family or our friends what they thought we loved, What would they say? William Booth, the guy who founded the Salvation Army, said this when someone asked him about the phenomenal growth and success of the work he was doing amongst the poor of London. William Booth said, From the day I got the poor of London on my heart and the vision for what Jesus Christ could do for them, I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. And if anything has been achieved... It's because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. This commandment is about loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Oh, it's two for the price of one. In these verses, Jesus says we need to love God passionately. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all of it. If you're fortunate enough to be in a long-lasting relationship, you know that how you express that love 
may have changed a little over the years. But if you think back to those first heady days when you met the boy or girl of your dreams, then you may remember what it felt like when you saw them. Your heart wanted to explode. You would do anything to, to, to see them. You'd travel ridiculous distances for one evening in their company. You'd run up enormous phone bills just to hear their voice. They had your heart, every part of it. Hopefully they still do, perhaps in a slightly different way. But I think what Jesus is calling us on here to do when he says we need to love God with all our heart is to love in that passionate, head-over-heels way. There's a line in that hymn, uh, Amazing Grace, that puts it so well, where it says, How precious did, did the grace appear, that grace appear the hour I first believed. Think back to the hour you first believed. That is the passionate love Jesus is speaking of. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love personally. Jesus says that we should love God with all our souls. This love comes from the very core of our being. That eternal part of us, the very essence of who we are, is to be filled with love for God. When everything else is stripped away, when all that is superficial and on the surface, when all that is transient has passed, then one thing remains. Our love for God must be at our very centre. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. We're to love intelligently. Jesus said we should love God with all our mind. The passion of loving with all our heart is informed, in fact, by the fact that we are also commanded to love with our minds. The emotion we may feel, for example, in a time of worship is grounded in our knowledge of God, of what he is like, of what he's promised, as what, as what he has said. We are to use our minds to engage with God, to use our minds to find out more about God and try and understand him more fully. We do this through spending time with his word. Our minds balance, inform and inspire our emotions. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Love passionately, love personally, love intelligently. As we move on to the second commandment, it says in verse 39 that Jesus said, Love your neighbour as yourself. First love God, then from that love for God comes love for others. Looking at this command, I was struck by how loving your neighbour is actually connected to loving yourself. Don't worry, I'm not about to burst into song. But back in her 80s hit, Whitney Houston, with notes of quite astounding length, declared that learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. I'm not entirely sure that I would 100% agree with her, but that is what Jesus is speaking of. We need to love ourselves. And I believe that this love for ourselves that Jesus is speaking of needs to come from a correct assessment of our own worth. I'm sure many, many of you 
could quote to me John 3.16, where it says that God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for us. We are the lost sheep he put on his shoulders and carried back. We are the ones he loved so much he was prepared to come and die for us. That's how he values us. And I think we really shouldn't be misled into thinking that we're not good enough, that we're not pretty enough, we're not thin enough, we're not clever enough, we're not rich enough. If God thinks you're worth dying for, your value is pretty high. And knowing the value that God has put on us leads us to be able to love ourselves, not with a selfish love, but a love that releases our love, his love, for others. So who are we to love? Jesus says, love your neighbour as yourself. But how do we define our neighbour? Let's start locally. What do our physical neighbours in our own street think of us? Are we the trouble family? The argue over parking, get off my grass, head down, you might get a hello if you're lucky type of neighbour. To be honest, there are some people who are pretty difficult to live next door to. But are we the peacemakers? Are we the go the second milers? We are called to show God's love to those who live around us. We may well be the only Bible they ever read, the only view of the church they ever get, the only glimpse of God's work they ever see. We're to love those we meet in our everyday lives, wherever God's put us. We can't fix everyone's problems, but we can be there. We can reach out to people. This applies to us whether we're at work, at home, at college, wherever we spend our time. We need to be practical in the love for those around us. People need the love of God and people need the love God has given us. I believe that that commandment to love our neighbour also applies to our neighbour here in the church, here in the church family. Families can be a tremendously supportive thing. I know that's probably not everybody's experience, but they have the potential at least to be something special. So does the church family. Some years ago, one of my brother's children was suddenly taken seriously ill. I jumped in the car, drove to Kent to pick up my sister, and drove on to Wales. We sat outside the screen where the little fellow was being reverse barrier nursed to, pre- to prevent him from catching infection. There was nothing we could do, there was nothing we could say to help, really. We had a cup of tea with my brother and his wife before they scrubbed up and went back in to sit with their son again. We turned round and came home. Half an hour for over 400 miles. To be honest, it's not a lot. And I know there's people here who've got families spread across the globe, people who would travel across continents to be with their families in times of trouble. And I believe as a church family, that's how we should be with each other. How do we measure up as as that church family? How practically do we show love for each other?
I believe this commandment to love our neighbour is not just limited to our local geography. It's not just limited to our local church. As we look further afield, I believe we are called to love those all around us. An Indian astronaut by the name of Rakesh Sharma said as he looked down from space that he could see no borders. And I have a fair feeling that, metaphorically speaking at least, when Jesus looks down from heaven, he sees no borders. God's love doesn't distinguish between people. It doesn't set up barriers. It doesn't exclude. Whether it's refugees traipsing across Europe, a virus in Africa, drought, earthquake, flood, famine, or the ravages of war, we need to be seeking to love our suffering neighbours wherever they are. We must extend how we define our neighbours. Charity may start at home, but it cannot stop there. Loving our neighbour means loving outside our neighbourhood as well as in it. To conclude, these two commandments that Jesus proclaims as the greatest, that Jesus proclaims underpin everything else we do, everything else we believe, are easy to understand, but hard to put into practice. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, as well as loving your neighbours yourself, that's hard. In fact, it may seem like mission impossible. The reality is, we will never fully achieve either. And God knows that. He's a gracious God. His will is that we try and that we seek his help and that we support each other in our efforts. 1 John 4 verse 19 says this, We love because he first loved us. And that's the key. We must look to the cross, to Gethsemane, to the sacrifice of a loving father and an obedient son. We are called to appreciate the love he showered on us, return that love and share it with all we meet. Let's pray. As we consider these two commandments that underpin all we believe, we thank you for the love you have poured out on us. We thank you that you first loved us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to return that love and to share it with all we meet. Amen.